Turn with me, if you would, to uh, 2 Corinthians, if you have your Bibles. Thank you. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and uh, verse 17 through 21, where we'll begin today. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 through 21. You know, during the uh, offering, you kept going like this to me. You're doing it to the kids. I thought it was to me. I was in, I was in the middle of something, and she was just. Oh, you're, and I was I'm like, sorry. what did I say? Did I say like, <laughs> I don't know if you guys have ever spoke, but I remember, I remember which church it was. It might have been my first church in Georgia where I first ministered. And I said, uh, like, attributed to the devil what was of God, and to God was, was of the devil, and I was oblivious. I had no idea. <laughs> I was like, what's wrong with that? Really just seeing if you're paying attention or not. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse uh, 17 through 21. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation, or you could say like exchange, to wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead be reconciled to God. For he has made him to be sin who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. This is probably one of the most revealing passages of scripture in all of the New Testament. Uh, Somebody said like uh, Paul's revelation, this is part of Paul's revelation, is actually thoughts that Jesus carried to the grave unuttered. But then when Jesus appeared to Paul, that he gave him all actually such an abundance of revelation that he said, you know, uh, he ended up with a thorn in the flesh. That's not the the subject of the message. But he had such an abundance of revelation, revelation upon revelation. You see, really, had Jesus uttered that revelation before he was crucified, the Bible says that... uh, the devil wouldn't have tried to attack him and people wouldn't have crucified him because they would have seen like the whole plan of God. The whole plan of God would have been open before them and the devil would have never let that happen because uh, he thought he had actually won. And uh, that's kind of what pride does to you is pride will take you further than you wanted to go because you start to think, well, you know, uh, I, I love looking at uh, the law of first mentions in the Bible. So you see in the book of Genesis that uh, the devil came to Adam and Eve and really started with Eve and said, well, did God really say that if you eat that? So what's he doing? Immediately, he's trying to get some doubt in there. He's trying to get that what God said, well, it's not really fully the way he said it. And it's not really fully true. Let me tell you why he said this. So he's, I mean, you could go forever on that. He's uh, putting motives over on the Lord saying, well, the reason you know that he said this, the reason God said that is he knows that the second that you eat of that fruit, you're going to be like him. And you see the devil had, even up to that point, he had already fallen. Um, He fell like lightning from heaven. And... um, he wanted to be like God, but actually he got such a big head, he thought he was going to overpower God. He thought he was going to like go beyond God. So when we um, think of humbling ourselves, it is vitally important to humble yourself. Uh, my favorite scripture about humility is God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. 
well, I don't know about you, but um, I don't want God resisting me. I don't need God resisting me. I need God like on my side. And so he gives grace to the humble. What does that mean? Well, you know, salvation is for every man and every woman that has been alive on the earth or that is alive on the earth or that will live on the earth. Uh, God desires that all men come to the knowledge of the saving grace of Jesus Christ. So God doesn't want anyone to die and miss heaven and go to hell. He wants all of us to live forever in eternity with him. But God's um, a God of justice and a God of love. And of course, you can't have perfect love if I force you to love me. If I like, I need some friends. So I have delegated and designated all of you as my friends. So like, you have to be my friend. Whether you like it or not, you have to be my friend. And, um, you know, yeah, I suppose if you uh, like me and like what I think and like what I say, maybe you'd be okay with that for a little while. But probably long term, you're going to be like, I'm going to feel unfulfilled and you're going to feel unfulfilled because um, the easiest thing to think about this is, uh, you know, like the dating relationships or marriage. And uh, growing up, uh, I liked girls. And so I wanted to date girls. And so you'd see someone and, you know, uh, there's one particular young lady that I really liked a lot and um, she didn't really reciprocate. And uh, you think like, would you like to marry that person? No, not really, because uh, she didn't love me the way I thought I loved her, right? And um, uh, vice versa, like, how would you like to be married to somebody that you didn't love? Or have somebody married to you that you didn't love? It just doesn't work that way. So God gives us all, like, free choice. And so Adam and Eve chose to honor what um, the devil said over what God said. And it's real easy to look at them and say, like, how in the world could you do that, Adam and Eve? You messed it up for all of us. Uh, but then sometimes I'll find myself in a similar situation, and I'm reading the Word of God, and I see that. I'm like, oh, that's great. And then a, a situation that kind of matches that scripture comes into my life, and I stop and I say, like, oh, did God really say that? You know, you can put it in finances. Did God really say he was going to uh, provide for you? Like, is he really going to provide for you in Washington, D.C., where the cost of living is so cheap? <laughs> um, you know, or uh, sometimes I guess my first uh, real in-your-face experience would have been in uh, 2005, a different type of experience. My wife and I went to the Philippines for a different missions trip than the one I mentioned before. And um, we went to three different churches. Uh, we, found, we actually found this guy who came to speak at the Bible school we went to, and he sounded tough. He said, like, in his Bible schools in the Philippines, you cannot graduate unless you have gotten somebody born again, somebody filled with the Spirit, and cast the devil out of somebody. Well, I mean, I grew up in northern Indiana. My wife grew up in northern Minnesota, and we were in Oklahoma for Bible school, so we hadn't seen too many possessed people. And, um, but this guy came to preach and I thought, you know, I want something tough. I don't want somebody that's going to be light on me or easy on me. I want something tough. So we felt in our hearts, we wanted to do a mission strip. And so we emailed this guy, connected with him. We went over there and, uh, he sent us to three of his churches. He had planted 19 churches, I think at the time over the Philippine islands, a beautiful area. And it's a great place to minister because they speak English. And because MacArthur helped set them free, they love Americans. So uh, it's one of my favorite missions trips because before you even open your mouth, people want to hear what you have to say. 
And sometimes that's the biggest challenge really to get to talk to people about the Lord is getting them to even listen to what you have to say. Um, so we went over there. We went to three different churches. It's one of my, um, like I say, one of my best uh, ministry experiences even to this day because we went to three different churches and each church was a different style church. So um, the first church was kind of like more reserved and they were very big into like door-to-door witnessing. I'm looking at my wife because they get us up like we're jet lagged and we're getting up at like, I don't know, 7, 7.30 in the morning. First we go witness and then we're going to have, we don't have breakfast till like 10, I think it was. And then as soon as we're done with breakfast, then we go out and witness again till lunch. And then we have lunch and then, uh, which is harder for my wife not to have breakfast till then than me. Um, and then like after lunch, then we go witness all afternoon. And then maybe it was like mid-afternoon. Then they're like, okay, we got a leadership meeting set up. So then we go teach leadership meeting and then we'd have dinner and then after dinner we'd go to evening service and it was like day after day after day and it was our first stop after we got over there and it's like 13 hours ahead of us here I think. So uh, he really wore me out. It was a lot of a lot of work combined with the jet lag and, and all of that and then the next church they were just like a um, they were a wild church, uh, a wild uh, Holy Ghost church. And so they were like, you know, we're going to have like an amazing, you know, time and the Spirit of God's going to fall and all this. And um, then the third church was like a brand new church plant. And so they'd only been around for, oh, maybe as long as we've been around, just uh, uh, about a year or less or something like that. And um, they launched out from like the main campus that they had in Manila to this island, Saragao, uh, island Saragao City. Um, it's a real, uh, actually, Muslim stronghold in the Philippines. And uh, they had no financial support, no nothing, just trust in God. And the Lord, of course, provided for them. But uh, three very different experiences. Well, uh, financially, all, all wonderful churches, uh, just different personalities, different, different style churches. The middle church we went to, they were big into, like, um, sowing financial seed. So... Uh, all the other churches were bringing them offerings and giving them money. And so we did the same thing like for this middle church. We want to give the pastor and his wife money and bless them and take care of them. And they're like, no, 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 no. We took up an offering for you. And they gave us this offering. And that was one of the hardest experiences in ministry to that point because, uh, you know, I preached like, like we did at the time of giving, like the Lord wants to multiply your seed sown. And even, even in poverty, that's actually how you get out of poverty is to sow financial seeds. But, uh, you know, if something affects your children, uh, you're a lot less likely to put up with it than if it affects you. Like, uh, say like a sickness comes on your kids, like and you're going to take authority in the name of Jesus over that. At least I would a lot of times before I would for myself. Like I care more about my kids than I do myself. I want to protect my kids, make sure they're good. And if someone comes after my kids, uh, I'm going to go probably after them. And if somebody comes after me, I'm going to more like turn the other cheek. So maybe I'm still growing in that, but I'm just saying like with my kids, don't mess with the kids. And um, so, uh, but it was challenging because you, you've been taught this, and then you've even preached on this, and now you're like in the thick of it, and you know, they're like, no, we need to sow this money. And, but you're kind of like, well, trust me, I think their yearly wage was like $100 a year, and they're probably giving us like 30 or $40 US dollars. And so you're like, oh, I don't know if, I don't know, well, okay, yeah, that's what the Bible says. Like, do I really believe this or not? Well, the interesting thing about that church was, and they sent us on a date, so they like paid for this. They put us at this nice beachfront ho- uh, hotel, a little uh, 
condo type of thing. Really what it was was it was like cinder block a little bit and I don't know, it's still cold shower. It was, we would consider it like third world here, but it was very nice for that area. And so they put us there, and then they had this driver come and pick us up in a little rickshaw and take us to this, the nicest restaurant in town. Uh, and they rode with us, and then they waited outside while we had a date that they paid for in the middle of our missions trip. <laughs> so sweet. But what was interesting was, you know, the building we were in, uh, one of their church members owned it, and so it had probably like, I don't know, foot thick concrete walls, no heated water, just cold water, and uh, I think it had bars, you know, no, no screens, and um, not a lot of even light in there, and um, it was one of the nicer buildings in town. Well, they had just gotten a brand new church building completely paid for, and it wasn't from missionary money. It was because they had sown seed and the Lord blessed them and took care of them. So they actually had the nicest building in the whole city where they were at. In fact, their building was like a building that you would see in the city of Manila, which is the capital of the Philippines, their capital city. But um, so they had this and you could see that they were financially blessed even though they didn't have a lot. But they sowed seed, and they got in, in line with uh, the laws of sowing and reaping, and it worked, and it was awesome. But in the whole process, when they're doing this, you didn't see like the fullness of everything, so it would like make your head go tilt. Just the same way, like maybe in your personal life, you can look at stuff, and uh, you know we talked a little bit about finances, uh, but you can look at finances, you can look at health and healing, you can look at uh, depression, you can look at any area of your life, and it may seem like. Uh, this is an impossibility. Things don't work this way. But really, when you get in line with how God set things up, that's exactly how things work. And where we, where we actually stumble and fall is we get into uh, making our own righteousness or making ourselves right with God or making ourselves good enough for God. Um, you know, you could call it self-righteousness. I hesitate to use that word because people get a little bit um, excited about that word. Because uh, they just think like Pharisee and, and all of that. Like, oh, you're self-righteous. Uh, and it is kind of a bad word <laughs> or bad two words. But the reality is uh, Jesus, you know, wants us to take his righteousness. So in uh, 2 Corinthians 5.21, for he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. We also see in Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God unto salvation for everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, there is a righteousness from God revealed from faith to faith, as it's written, the just shall live by faith. So really, if you're just, if you're righteous, or you're counted righteous, and if you're a Christian, you're actually declared to be righteous based on the blood of Jesus and based on what Jesus did. Not based on uh, you're good enough or you did enough good works that now you're finally righteous. And I remember in the, uh, uh, one of the churches, I was actually licensed and ordained in this church, I can remember we're, the classroom I was sitting in, we were in a Sunday school classroom, and I was reading... Um, and James talking about the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. And I remember thinking, if I could ever get to be righteous, man, could I pray. Like if I could get righteous, once I get righteous, I'm going to pray and things are going to happen. And uh, then, of course, through the process of time, I didn't develop into righteousness. I realized that if any man be in Christ, he is the righteousness of God in Christ. 
And so um, where we, where we kind of like uh, recoil from this is when we look at ourselves according to our flesh or according to our thinking. Because James actually tells us that we have to renew our mind. We actually have to save our soul through the renewing of our mind. So when you become a Christian, old things have passed away, all things have become new. You're a new person, a new creature that never existed before. That's in your spirit. But you still have the same flesh. So like if you wanted to eat, um, overeat, on strawberries, because these strawberries were like really, really good. Last year, I'm a big strawberry person. So if you guys don't know me very well, you'll find that out really quick. I love strawberries. I will rearrange my schedule to pick strawberries. And so in Michigan, I would always like, it's like normally not the end of May, but normally like anywhere from the first to the third week of June, the strawberries are on. And normally they're best, like the first, when they're first ripe, that's the best. So like, I'll like stop everything. I have friends in Michigan still that make fun of me and uh, because they're like, well, the strawberries are on, are you coming? And so last year, I think I timed a trip for strawberry season. And, um, but I went picking strawberries here last year at a different patch and um, they weren't that good. And so my feathers kind of fell because I was like, eh, am I gonna have to travel back to Michigan <laughs> every June to get good strawberries? Well, um, the Lord is good because this year, this week, I found a new strawberry patch uh, that's uh, over in Delaplaine in a beautiful area, and they were some of the best strawberries I have ever had. And um, they're not as cheap as Michigan, uh, but they were really, really good. And, um, and, but anyhow, you could yield to your flesh. So I was explaining to my wife, I said, you know, I'm really happy because this year, during strawberry season, I'm able to eat a lot of strawberries. Because you might not understand, and I don't want to do like the full illustration, but if you eat too much fresh fruit, you might have to slow down on it just a little bit. And so this year, I've been able to really eat and eat and eat it uh, to the point where I've had to be like, you know, maybe you should like not overeat on strawberries. Uh, the point of that illustration is like, uh, you know, we all have flesh to contend with. And just because I'm a Christian doesn't mean that I don't want to overeat or doesn't mean, you know, that you don't, your body doesn't want to do things that you shouldn't do. Of course, you can think of like sexual things, but it's a lot more than sexual things. It can be like, you know, Jesus, you know, Paul said, glorify God in your body and in your heart, which is the Lord's. So you want to glorify the God with everything that you are and everything that you have. But, uh, you know, if you have uh, people that you work with that are really not polite or they're jerks, for lack of a better term, you might really want to give them a piece of what we call our mind. <laughs> like, let me tell you about this. Well, that's really your flesh rising up. Um, it's your, your old man. Jesus or Paul said you should crucify your flesh with its lusts and its desires. That means keep it under. Well, <clears throat> all of the things of God are actually for our benefit, not for our detriment. And um, so you find out if you keep that under and then you walk in the love of God, Man, there's something inside you that just is so fulfilling and so um, uh, it puts something into you and does something in you when you respond to the love of God rather than responding to your flesh. And so we learn if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And when you become a, a believer in Jesus Christ, you are actually declared righteous. And Paul even says in Romans uh, chapter 1, verse 17, that there's a righteousness that's from God. It's revealed from faith to faith. Um, and as it's written, the just shall live by faith. So the way that you're going to live um, is by faith. 
well, I don't know about you, but I have not like uh, trusted God in every area of my life uh, for everything. In other words, I haven't always lived by faith. So Paul's not saying like you're going to die. You're going to physically die. He's saying if you want to experience real life, or I like how one translation says life that really is. It's just how it says it. Life that really is. In other words, life that really is life. So you can feel like um, you're experiencing a lot of life. I remember I was in the military, and a friend of mine uh, told me that um, to kind of like um, uh, be monogamous was like a boring kind of life. But to go share yourself with a bunch of other women, like he had such freedom. And I told him, I didn't have very much revelation then, but I had enough to know. I'm like, you know what? I was not even married at that point. I said, but when I get married, I said, I have the freedom and the joy of knowing I'll only be with one person and everything will be good and I don't have to worry about like, because he's worried about diseases and all these other type of things. Well, sometimes the world will tell you like, you know, to go out and to get drunk every weekend or to go and have multiple partners or to just do whatever gratifies your flesh is like the good kind of life. Uh, But that's not life that really is life. That's like a, a flesh fulfilling life. And, um, you know, even Paul said, don't be drunk on wine, which is excess, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so we find, like, you can actually get high on God. You can get filled with God, so filled with God that you actually don't even desire um, to get a buzz from alcohol or um, to get high on drugs or any of those things that really maybe satisfy your flesh. But it's just a momentary satisfaction, and it's not deep in your heart. But deep in your heart, you actually can get satisfied from God himself because he's the one that created you. He's the one that made you. He knows your thoughts, your desires. He knows what he created you to be and what he created you for. So I'm not ashamed of the gospel, Paul said, uh, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So when we think of being born again and becoming a uh, believer in Christ, becoming a Christian, a lot of times uh, we'll try to make ourselves right or make ourselves uh, good enough to come to the kingdom of God or we'll do these works or do these things to become right with God or to become pleasing to God or to become uh, in God's good graces. Like, you know, if I... uh, uh, you know, I, I even used to think this way, where if I read the Bible enough and if I pray enough, God's going to do me some extra favors. And he's going to be like, uh, uh, hey, this is my buddy, you know, because he does all this stuff. Well, really, that's works mentality, and that's not uh, how you receive salvation. You actually receive salvation by grace through faith. That means basically saying, okay, God, I see this is what you said. I believe it, and I take it. And um, one of the best ways to do that is really to come to the end of yourself and realize, you know, I can't do this. And if you've tried to live right for any length of time, you realize, I cannot do this. Uh, That it's the Spirit of God that really enables us. Um, Really, instead of seeking to attain the likeness of Christ as something that's without him, you realize that you're actually planted into the likeness of Jesus Christ. Right, So it's not by um, taking all of this bad stuff out or stopping to do all of this bad stuff, but it's actually receiving the life of Christ that he has given us and that he gives to us. I think I mentioned this quote a few weeks ago, but um, it's not 
trying to get holy so that we can get to God, but it's actually becoming one with God so his holiness can come in us, right? So when we become one with God, he actually comes to live inside of us, and then we partake of his nature, and his nature is holiness, and his nature is righteousness. And so this really set me free when I started to realize this because I thought, you know, man, to be righteous, like you must be like, uh, you know, uh, you think of like a Catholic saint, you know, who like they, you know, Mother Teresa or somebody like that who in the earth, they just did all these things and da da da, da And you think, I can't measure up to that. I can't, I can't do all of that. But you realize that when we become one with God, he actually bestows his holiness into us. He bestows his rightness into us. Um, no union with God without the connection between God and man could ever occur, which is why Jesus had to come in the flesh. The incarnation. So Jesus came in the flesh so that he could become one of us so that we could actually become one with him. Christianity actually doesn't take away any natural relationship. Christianity does not destroy any obligation that we have. In other words, you still have to work. In other words, you still have to take care of your children. You still have to take care of all of your affairs. You still have to, um, you're still going to have friends. And it doesn't take away any moral Laws. In other words, you still need to live right, you still need to honor people, you still need to do what's right. But what Christianity does is it actually lifts your relationships to a heavenly level. And it actually takes your obligations and your morals and puts them in a whole new arena. Because now you actually have the ability to do what's right. You have the ability to live like God would live, live like Jesus would live, and to talk like Jesus would talk. Uh, Christianity, apart from any other religion, you really can't do that. Every other religion tries to fix us through, uh, what do you call it, religious methods. Or in other words, here's a system, put the system in place, uh, face east every, I don't know the times, but anyhow, face east with your prayer rug at this time of day and then three times a day and do this. And then if you're really devout, it has to be five times a day. And no matter where you're at, you have to stop and do all this stuff. And um, that is not a relationship. And Christianity is a relationship. You actually be, you come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. One of the best ways to tell people about Jesus is say, would you like to meet my friend Jesus? Have you ever come into a relationship with Jesus Christ? Because it is a relationship where he speaks to us and we speak to him. And where we... We really get the good part of the deal because he takes everything that was bad in us and we get everything that was good in him. So it's union with God uh, so that we can then attain holiness. Hebrews 11.6 says, But without faith it's impossible to please him, that's God, for he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And I kind of want to finish with uh, this verse here today for today's message. But without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. In other words, to come to God, you actually, first of all, have to believe that he is, is um, I think the surface meaning of that scripture. But if you want a deeper meaning of that scripture, um, what did God say his name was? He said, I am. Tell them, Moses, tell them, I am sent you. So you must believe that God is. So you look in the Acts of the Apostles when um, the church was first birthed and born. We're part of that same church. And you see uh, wonderful miracles, healings, deliverances, wonderful things happen. But you, you see that Jesus said, I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. So when Paul says in Hebrews 11, 
Six, without faith, it's impossible to please God, for he that comes to God must believe that he is. Well, you know, must believe that God is, and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So if you want to talk about trusting God in the area of your finances, or trusting God in the area of bodily healing, or trusting God for salvation of your soul, you want to find that you have to believe that he is the Savior. So you have to believe that God is, that Jesus is the Savior of your heart, of your spirit, of your soul. You have to believe uh, for finances that he is the Savior of your finances, that he is the Savior of your body. Because salvation is really a whole lot more than uh, you go to heaven when you die. Salvation affects you immediately. First thing that happens is 2 Corinthians 5.17, you're a new person, a new creature. Well, like, like I, we said, um, you know, if you had a big nose before you were born again, you still have a big nose after you're born again. If you had little feet, you still have little feet. If you had like a pointy ear, you still have a pointy ear. So we know that your body didn't change. Um, and... I dare say that uh, you can still conjure up thoughts that you had before you were a Christian. So, and maybe thoughts, these thoughts will still come. But what changes is from the inside out, really your desires change. And so um, the most frustrated people that you will find in life are Christians that don't live like it. Why is that? Because they've got something on the inside. The real them is saying, like, don't do that. Don't tell that person off. Don't do that. But they're like maybe not responding to it, and so they're going to go ahead and do it, and then they, their flesh feels, oh, so glad I got to tell them off. But then as they think about it, and as the day goes by and the week goes by, they're like, ugh, you just feel kind of nasty. Like, I shouldn't have done that. It wasn't right, uh, because really uh, the rage kind of left, and now you're realizing like, ooh, what did I do? And um, same thing with kind of in any place where you're missing God like that. Uh, in the middle of it, you're listening to the voice of your flesh more than uh, the voice of your heart. And you realize, like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. So what happens is Jesus came and he gave us an example that we should follow. That we should do as he did and speak as he spoke and act as he acted. And um, last summer we learned that uh, Jesus really came and he was our model, our example that we should follow. And then once he died, rose again, and went to heaven... He said, you know, the works that I do, should you do also in greater works than these because I'm going to my father. And so then he said when he did that, that his life, his spirit could come and live inside of us and would come and live inside of us. So now we're enabled with the same empowerment and enablement that Jesus Christ had. We're anointed with the same spirit that he was anointed with. And we live from the same inner life that he lived from. Uh, Eternal salvation, really, in the Greek, is aeonius zoe. So it really has more to do with the quality of life than the length of life. Because uh, you look at uh, Lazarus and the rich man, and uh, Lazarus was in hell and lift up his head and saw Lazarus in Abraham's bosom and you know, said, Father Abraham, send Lazarus that he may you know, basically give me some water, even just a drop of water. Well, you learn that you're going to live forever, either in heaven or in hell. Like, everyone's going to live forever. So it's not a matter of really living forever, but it's the quality of life and being with or apart from God. So zoe means life as God has, has it, the life and nature of God. So when we accept Jesus Christ, we get zoe, whether we realize it or not. And zoe comes inside of us. And that's why uh, Romans 5.5 5 says, the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. The love of God is really the nature of God. 
And um, every commandment can be fulfilled by the love of God, love as God has it. You know, you can find a definition of that in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4 through 8. Love is patient, kind, and so on and so forth. But it's a love that's beyond yourself, and it's a love that's beyond what this world loves. Because really, this world loves you and loves me for what we can do for them. Like, I love you because, you know, you took me on a trip with you. Or I love you because you got me strawberries. Right, Jeremy? And um, we gave them some strawberries. <laughs> so, um, but love, natural human love, is like what's in it for me. But if you want to have a successful marriage, if you want to have a successful friendship, if you want to have a successful relationship with your family, you find out that what real love is about is about giving of yourself, not taking for yourself. So um, Jesus Christ, of course, was the ultimate example of a giver because he gave up his entire life. And in uh, Hebrews 11.6, the second part of the verse was, um, well, I'll just read the whole thing again. But without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So you have to, first of all, believe that he is. And if you're going to receive from him and walk by faith, uh, say like healing, if you're going to receive healing, then you have to believe that he is the healer. And um, my favorite example along this line is uh, there's a, a good friend of mine that uh, said to me one time, said like, uh, well, if Jesus still heals today, I, I don't know him because he never, you know, at our church, he's never healed anybody. I don't want to see anybody get healed. And I, I didn't even think before I spoke. And it wasn't bad what I said. I just didn't think about it. I just said, well, I said, does your church believe that Jesus heals today? And he said, no. And I said, well, then why would you ever think that you would see somebody healed in your church? If they don't, if they don't even ask God to do it, like, why would you, why would you even believe that? And he's like, oh, I never thought of that. And so you have to believe that he is. So if you're like stressed out and you don't know what to do because you've got all these pressures coming against you and uh, you're really struggling mentally because of all of the pressures that you have, but you don't believe Philippians chapter four, verse six, cast all your cares on the Lord because he cares for you. Um, and the Amplified says about you watchfully. And um, he's like watching over you to take all these cares off. If you don't believe that, if you don't believe that he is the caretaker, then you're not going to give him your cares. So you're not going to walk in faith, and therefore you're not going to please God, because the way you please him is to act in faith. Because without faith, it's impossible to please him. Because why? Because then really you're, you're um, working your own righteousness, your own... Uh, that's, that's too biblical of a word to use. You're working your own problem fix. Like you're fixing your own problem. So you're not pleasing God by fixing your own problem. He's like... I actually sent my son, and his blood paid for every problem that you could ever have to be fixed. So I want you to take what he did. I've already taken care of it. It's already done. It's, it's wonderful. You don't have to do anything except for accept it. So you have to believe that he is, and then that he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Well, what's a rewarder? It's really just a giver. So you have to believe that God is a giver. In other words, from the moment you're born again, God gave you the gift of salvation, and uh, if you want freedom from stressing out and having a lot of anxiety, God gives you the gift of casting your cares, taking all of those anxieties and putting them on him. But you have to believe that he's a giver, right? Because you could say like, 
well, God has the power to take this thing that I'm worried about. You could believe that and still be worried and still have this pressure on you. But you have to believe that God is actually a giver. Like he wants to give to you. He wants to give that freedom to you that you would experience. And um, same thing like with health and healing. If uh, you need healing in your body, but you, don't, you just believe, well, yes, the Lord can heal me. I don't know if he will or if he won't. Uh, then you very likely would still experience the same thing in your body. Just like you experience the same thing in your mind. Um, uh, like I've said many, many times, the way that we find out... Uh, how things work is you always take it back to salvation. So in salvation, if you don't know that God wants to give you his life so that you can live with him forever, how are you going to receive it? If you don't know that he has it, first of all, you have to know he has it. But once you know he has it, really, the Bible says even the demons believe that and they tremble. But uh, John chapter 4 says, as many as received him, to those he gave the right to become the children of God. And so you can believe that God has something. You can even believe um, that he has it in abundance. But if you don't believe that he's a giver, you might think like he's the guy that loves strawberries so much that he keeps them all to himself. And so he's enjoying all these strawberries, but nobody else is. But you have to believe that God's a giver. So without faith, it's impossible to please God because he that comes to God must believe that he is he is whatever you need, and that he is a giver of those that diligently seek him. Meaning, like, you believe, first of all, that he is what you need, but that's not enough. You have to also believe that he will give it to you. Like, the way that you actually act in faith is you say, um, Hebrews 11.1, 1, verse 1 of that chapter says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So faith is now. Today is the day of salvation. So when you're acting by trusting God, which we call acting in faith, you actually realize that this applies to me now. And then you know, oh, if that's true, then I don't have to be worried anymore. So, okay, Lord, this doesn't make any sense to me, but you know, I'm really concerned about this job move that I'm doing. So I'm asking you to work in it. I want you to do something with it. I don't know what to do with it. I've tried to do stuff. I'm not, I'm not, uh, not been successful in it. I'm not going to worry about it anymore. I want you to worry about it. I'm asking for your help. And then you give it over to him. And then you actually experience, actually the Bible says, peace that passes all understanding, peace that goes beyond your mind. Because your mind before that's going to say like, uh, no, you're going to be stressed about this. And even when you pray about this, it's still going to, it's going to come right back and you're just going to keep it. And it's just going to be that way. That's just how it is. Eventually time will heal this. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says, cast all your cares on him because he cares for you, uh, about you watchfully and for you affectionately. So we find that without faith, it's impossible to please God because he that comes to God must believe that he is, he is whatever you need and that he's a giver. So he'll give you whatever you need. So not only does, is he um, the, the healer, um, the one that will prosper you, the one that will take care of you, the one that will set you free, but he has that for you and wants you to experience that. We serve uh, a good God, and he's good all the time. 
Mark 11, 23 and 24 says, For surely I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things that he says will be done, he'll have whatever he says. Listen to this. Therefore I say to you, what things soever you ask, when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. So the reality is Jesus has already purchased your salvation, everything that goes along there, health, healing, um, freedom from poverty, freedom from depression. He's already purchased all of it. But the way that we get it is you believe that you receive when you pray. In other words, when you ask. So uh, we'll just end with the example of uh, being stressed out and worried. So that means the second, the moment while you're praying, and I have done this uh, many times because uh, I was trained very well how to worry. Uh, like Brother Hagin said, I was a world champion worrier. So you could like win awards for you know, worrying the most. And I remember actually being taught that it was a good thing to worry. Like, oh, okay, this is, this is a good thing. Uh, it's not really a good thing to worry. Uh, but the way, that, the way that you do this is you believe you receive when you pray. So when I'm praying, I'm saying, okay, Lord, I'm really concerned about this situation. I'm stressed about this. I don't know what to do about it. And for me, I can't speak for you, but I'll just tell the Lord like why I'm concerned about it, why I'm stressed about it, what's going on, because it helps me to tell somebody about it. And I figure, well, who's the better person to tell than the Lord? Because he knows everything. And if I say it in the wrong way as to insult somebody, he won't take it as an insult, right? Uh, it's a lot more relaxing. So I believe I receive when I pray. So I say, okay, Lord, I'm really stressed out about this. I need you to do something about it. Uh, in my head, it doesn't even make any sense that you could do anything about this. I know you're all powerful, but it doesn't make any sense to my head. But I know that you're God, and I know that you know everything I need and everything I have, and you know the whole situation better than I do. So I'm giving this to you right now in Jesus' name. And so in the middle of that prayer, I'm still a little bit stressed, but as soon as I say I'm giving this to you, I feel the weight of that like roll off. And, um, you know, having prayed with many people to be born again, the same thing occurs exactly. It's one of, one of my, it's my favorite time when somebody gets born again because, you know, they're all like, you can just see like down and out and stressed and overcome with all this stuff. And then I'm watching them. I normally like, the Bible said, watch and pray. So I'll leave my eyes open. So I'm watching them as they pray the prayer of salvation. And um, especially if I've known, you know, some of their life and what's, what's going on with them. And I'll watch them. All of a sudden, they're almost a smile starts to peep out. Or if they don't say anything at the moment, as soon as they say amen, the first thing they say before anything else is they'll say, oh, I feel like this heavy weight is gone. And um, that's because they believe they receive when they prayed. And that's how things come from God, is we believe that what he said is true. We believe we receive when we pray. So stand with me if you would. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're uh, here this morning or you're watching online or listening online and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, uh, I'm here to tell you that he loves you and that you can't make yourself good enough to come to him. Really come just as you are, the way that you are. He paid for all of your sins, all of uh, your troubles, anything that you've been through, anything that you're into. Uh, you really couldn't get yourself clean enough, but Jesus made a way so that you could have his righteousness, and his life. And so if that's you this morning, I'd encourage you to email us at info at anchordc.org, or if you're here this morning and that fits you, just raise up your hand and we'll pray with you and for you. If um, you have once been in the house of the Lord, but you've backslidden and you'd like to get right with God, we'd love to pray with you and for you. And if you're not filled with the Spirit and you'd like to be, uh, just raise your hand, 
Email us, info at anchordc.org. We'd love to pray with you and for you. God has a very specific plan for your life, for your family's life, and for those around you. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for today's message. Father, we thank you that you have made us right with you through Jesus Christ. We thank you, Father, that it's not uh, based on something that we did so that we can't look to ourselves, but it's based on something that Jesus did so we look to him. Father, I pray for each person uh, that's listening and that's here that you'll give us greater understanding and greater uh, insight and light into our relationship with Jesus Christ and what he has done for us and what we are to do for him. In Jesus' name, amen.